Thank you, Etienne. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, you alone are the most, most highly holy King and ruler of all nations. We pray to you, Lord, in the great expectation of receiving from you, O divine King, mercy, peace, justice, and all good things. Jesus, you are a King of mercy. O most awe-inspiring King, we bow before you and pray. May your reign, your kingdom, be recognized on earth. Amen. Well, thank you, Etienne, again for this opportunity to preach in the morning service as well. If you missed what Etienne was saying, I'm Andrew McIntyre. Um, I've been done this for about three and a half years, I worked out. And um, I guess I'll be welcomed this morning <laughs> as well, a little bit later. I'm a PCC member. Um, and if you do get the opportunity to attend in the afternoon, the afternoon service, it's also something really worthwhile attending. For Christ the King, the last Sunday in November today, the final Sunday of our liturgical year on the ordinary form calendar, it is a feast that focuses on the authority of Christ. While the problems our world faces today may differ from the events that inspired Pope Pius XI to establish the feast in the 1920s, his message and call to honor Christ the King in a society that denies the authority of our Lord is no less pertinent now than it was about 90 years ago. This solemnity is a newer feast in the liturgical year in our church and I guess we could say um, churches and broad, the liturgies. It was established by Pope Pius in 1925. The pontiff was witness to a turbulent time in the world's history. Secularism was on the rise and dangerous dictatorships were emerging in Europe and beyond. Christ had long been referred to as king, but Pope Pius and the Christian faithful saw the respect and reverence for Christ's authority waning in the midst of the unrest during the first part of the 20th century. In response, the feast was set up with intent to reaffirm and refocus faith and respect in the kingship of Jesus. On the importance of the public world, recognizing the kingly authority of Jesus, Pope Pius wrote, and I'm quoting here, when once men recognized both in private and public life that Christ is king, society will at last receive the great blessings of real liberty, well-ordered discipline, peace, and harmony. Our Lord's regal office invests the human authority of princes and rulers with a religious significance. It ennobles the citizen's duty of obedience. It is for this reason that St. Paul, while um, bidding wives revere Christ in husbands and slaves respect Christ in their masters, warns them to give obedience to them, not as men, but as vice regents of Christ. For it is not right that men redeemed by Christ shall serve their fellow men. You are bought with a price, but not made the bond servants of men. Unquote there from Pope Pius. And we pray especially today and consider the following on the feast of Christ the King. That nations would see the church, um, would see the church as the right to freedom and immunity from the state. That leaders and nations would see that they are bound to give respect to Christ that the faithful, that is you and I, would gain strength and courage from the celebration of today in the church calendar as we're 
that Christ must reign within our hearts, our minds, our wills, and our bodies as well. The feast was initially fixed on the final day of October, the day before All Saints Day, but later in 1969, Pope Paul VI moved the feast to the last Sunday before Advent to emphasize the importance of the feast. This is fitting within our church year. The liturgical year begins next week, which is the first week of Advent, the season of waiting for the coming of Christ. And now the church ends with celebrating the kingship of Christ as Lord. While the feast is relatively new in our church history, the tradition of calling Christ as king is not. Jesus is referred to as king throughout the New Testament, and I'm going to refer to a few verses here. In 1 Timothy 1.17, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be glory and honor. And it goes through the most of uh, the New Testament as well, John 49, Matthew 27.11, again in Timothy and in Revelation. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb saying, great and wonderful are thy deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are thy ways, O King of the ages. Clearly, king was one of the earliest titles given to the Son of God. The title does not refer to the status of an earthly king, which many of the Jews has, had been expecting in their time. Someone to overthrow the Roman rule and to be earthly king over Israel. Rather, he came to be our spiritual king. His kingdom is in heaven, and it's not confined to the earth alone. In respecting the name of Christ as king, and in celebrating the yearly feast, both citizens and leaders are to remain reverent and devoted to the higher authority of Christ. <clears throat> Etienne Etchi challenged me uh, for this morning. He said I should speak on Christ the King, I should speak on thanks, and I should also give a brief homily on one of uh, the scripture references read this morning. So I've chosen Colossians 1, verses 1 to 12, which I'm going to just uh, reread to you. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. We could say that the essence of the Christian life can be summarized in many legitimate ways, including forgiveness. The realization that the Father has forgiven us in Christ and thus requires us to forgive others as well. Holiness, because we have been set apart as holy through the work of the Savior, we must put holiness into practice in our lives. And patience, God is in his patience, kind with us, and he has brought us to repentance. So we must bear with the faults of others and wait patiently for the Lord to fulfill his purposes. These could be suggested as well. But the one we see most clearly from our reading of Colossians is thanksgiving. Gratitude envelops Paul's prayer for the church at Colossia in Colossians 1, verses 3 to 12, indicating its fundamental place in the life of Christians. Thanksgiving is, in fact, the perpetual attitude of Paul, and it is to be the disposition of us as Christians as well. He is always giving thanks for the faith, hope, and love of believers. The Colossians and all other Christians, by extension, are admonished to give thanks 
for their great salvation in the abundant, overflowing manner. Such an emphasis on thanksgiving is not surprising, but gratitude must certainly be a chief virtue of redeemed people, since the principal vice of fallen humanity is an ungrateful disposition towards the Lord for his gifts. Old covenant Israel perpetually fell into idolatry because they did not remember the Lord who had brought them out of Egypt. They ended up giving thanks to false gods who were no gods at all for their redemption. May we never do the same in our lives. We can live a Christian life of gratitude only when we recall that everything we have in Christ is an inheritance to us. Typically, an inheritance is something that is passed from the person who has earned it to a benefactor who has not worked for it, wholly or at the initiative of the earner. Paul can refer to our salvation as an inheritance because it is something that Jesus has earned for us and we do not work for it. It is received by faith alone. John Chrysostom, an early church father and bishop of Constantinople, in the late 4th century wrote, For no one leads a life so good as to be counted worthy of the king, but the whole is his free gift. It is obviously difficult to follow Paul's admonition to give thanks in all circumstances, which is why we need strengthening from on high to persevere with joy as we give thanks to the Lord. This power comes from the Holy Spirit, who presently lives within us to remind us all of the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus and of our need to thank him. Consequently, no Christian can live a life perpetually void of gratitude. So let us give thanks and pray now. Father in heaven, creator of all and source of all goodness and love, please look kindly upon us and receive our heartfelt gratitude in this time of giving thanks. Thank you for all the graces and blessings you have bestowed upon us, spiritual and temporal, our faith and religious heritage, our food and shelter, our health, the love we have for one another, our family and friends. Dear Father, in your infinite generosity, please grant us continued graces and blessing throughout our coming year. This we ask in the name of Jesus, your Son and our brother. Amen.